Panthers have a third and ten. Here comes pressure, and they've gotten to him. The ball is out in the end zone, and it's recovered by Malik Jackson for the touchdown. It was Vaughn Miller with the strip sack, and Jackson with the recovery. You know, booking this podcast can be such a weird, it's just such a weird thing sometimes because there's these weeks where I'm white knuckling it, you know, and I'm sending 35 emails out opening to get two guys back. And then there's a week like today where we have enough guests for this show, next show, and half of the following one. Really? Uh, Frank Schwab is the editor of the Shutdown Corner blog on Yahoo. And uh, similar to the Puck Daddy. He's the uh, football version of right, the Puck Daddy. Right. And I reached out to him uh, to see if he would want to talk about the Super Bowl and about Cam Newton. He was doing some really smart stuff, I thought, in terms of Cam before the Super Bowl. So I thought he'd be a good person to have an intelligent discussion post-Super Bowl with. Mm-hmm. So I got a hold of Frank, hooked it up, interviewed Frank, sent out a tweet thanking him, and get a response from someone else who wants to be on the show. It's like, oh, okay, sure, you want to be on the show? You can be on the show. So I'm going to save that because that's for a couple of weeks. I'm not going to give that up yet. Okay. But that was a nice little uh, little thing. Then I had reached out to Luke Wynn because now that football is over, and I hope everyone was able to uh, – to cash in on their Super Bowl bets, uh, Lois won seven hundred and fifty dollars, uh, courtesy of the two point conversion by the uh, Broncos. There did she? My mom actually yeah. thought. Now I don't remember what she. She doesn't even remember her numbers, but she must have misread her numbers because she thought she lost money because they didn't kick the field goal, and she ended up winning like five hundred bucks. Yeah. So, so wow, talk about our moms just rolling in the yeah, dough. Yeah, no kidding. Over yeah. a G for our moms in Super Bowl winnings. Yep. Uh, but the next thing to gamble on is obviously the NCAA tournament. So we got to talk to Luke Wynn and figure right. out, you know, who's good. I know Oklahoma has been number one, right? Number one or close to it all year. And I know North Carolina is in the mix and Kansas is very good. Uh, but we got to talk to Luke Wynn. So we're going to do that today as well. That doesn't mean that tomorrow I'm not going to talk to Hall of Famer Jack McCollum the author of one of the all-time great book club books of the month, The Dream Team. Uh, Jack did a top 50 NBA players of all time for SI, and he's nice enough to talk to us about that next week where he will headline the show with our friend Richard Deitch. Sweet. So it is Season 6, Episode 5, February 11, 2016. We're going to talk football with Frank Schwab. We're going to talk college basketball with Luke Wynn, and then next week we are going to do Deitch and McCollum. Solid stuff. Yeah, that's stacked. Solid stuff. Uh, as for this show, uh, we're going to update the book club. I finally did get the book itself. It's somewhere around here. I'm going to try to pick it up with my toes. <laughs> See that? Nice. Yeah, so I did finally get the book in the mail, and 
I got something really interesting. It's going to make us all feel very ugly uh, when we get to the book club. Uh, we'll end the show with one last thing, and we'll get going here with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll kick it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right. So obviously we start with Super Bowl 50. Don, you were uh, in the house. I was. At the big uh, Super Bowl party at my brother's house. Yeah. Which had a bell curve to it. As far as attendance goes? Yes. Yeah, for sure. Started off just a few people. Then we had this big growth. And then it just tailed off as the night went out. Which was actually kind of nice. It was. Because, I mean, when it was at its peak, there was, I think, like probably five or six kids under the age of four and maybe 50 people and greggy's got a nice it's probably too high but probably 30 people the nice was the way with the two tvs being on opposite floors it kept the the younger ones entertained up in kind of the toy room yep with nickelodeon on tv um yeah it was nice and i had a great time with your daughter messing with her don's little daughter she's gonna be four actually any day now day before valentine's yeah and uh I get her fired up. I, I know how to push her buttons, <laughs> and uh, she does not back down, though. No. She she is not intimidated by me <laughs> one bit, and she gets back at me. She told me she told me to never do something ever again. Yep. I, I carried her down the stairs, and she said, don't ever do that to me again. <laughs> she was really upset. I thought she... I was in the kitchen at the time. I thought she bit it. I'm like, I hear crying. I'm like, oh, that's my kid. She must have went down the stairs or something. No, the, what actually happy. made her cry was me picking her up and gently sending her down at the bottom <laughs> stair. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, she told me to never do that again, so I have to be careful. But, yeah, it was an interesting party. Not that anyone who's listening to this cares about our party. Uh, but as for the game, it stunk. Yeah, I mean, I, it wasn't a good one. I said in the middle of the game that I'd rather watch two sloppy defenses play each other than two really good defenses. It's one thing, I think, if you would have had like one really good offense against one really good defense, kind of like strength on strength. But I think both teams, arguably, Denver probably had the best defense of the two. Carolina's, I mean, they're good on both sides of the ball, but their defense might be better than their offense. And Denver's offense was by far the worst of any unit on the field, and it, it that's just how it played out. I mean, Denver seemed to dominate Carolina's offense every step of the way, but the game was never really out of reach for Carolina. So I was listening to Bennington last okay. week, and they did this thing where they must have just called 20 regular comedians on the show okay, and just got picks from them. And one thing that I kept hearing over and over again that I knew was false was the misconception that Carolina was better than Denver in all phases of the game. No. That wasn't true. You know, people had this misconception that just because Carolina won 15-1 and had such an easy time in the playoffs, that they were better than the Broncos on defense and better at special teams. And I knew that was false. I knew the Broncos had the best kicker in the league, and that did make a difference. He made all his kicks. Gano missed a big one. 
I mean, even if you have a really short-term memory and just think back to the championship game, what Denver did to New England, who scores on even the best defenses, was unreal. So, I mean, to think that Carolina was just heads and tails better than Denver's defense is crazy. Yeah, and and, uh, and, and you figured that Carolina did have an edge on offense, but look at the game was all about Von Miller. He was the MVP for a reason. He yep. changed the game right away. We played the highlight off the top. And he was fantastic all night long. I mean, every time it seemed like Cam Newton stepped back, Vaughn Miller was disrupting the plan for that play. And he picked a good day to do it, right? The last game before becoming a free agent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so you know he's going to get a contract that we've just never seen before for that position. Yep. You know, he's going he's gonna to make – he's going to set a new bar for, for linebackers and contracts. Or defensive end, whatever you call him. Yeah. Um, because he basically plays like a, a down lineman rushing end. Yeah. But he can stand up and rush, too. And he can drop back. I mean, he could do pretty much anything. Yeah, he was everywhere. Their front seven was unbelievable. I was happy for Peyton Manning. Uh, you know, good for him. I think he's been a, a really good ambassador to the game. He's been generally a good guy. Uh, and for him to go out that way, that's good. Hopefully he doesn't make the mistake of uh, coming back because it would be a mistake. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I had left the party for the end of the game. It was getting a little late for my one-year-old. Yeah, the little boy had to go get some sleep. But uh, what was the take in at the party about him just dropping Budweiser twice? Like what, what just was that, that it was odd. Because I, I heard – Today or yesterday that he's they're not even like he's not even a sponsor there. So. No, I guess he owns a distributor. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was really weird because you can't endorse alcohol, but I guess there's no reason you can't say that you're going to own go. a distributor. Okay. That I mean that's an I mean, but he's always been a whore, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean Papa John was there. It was like one of the first guys he, he hugged. He kissed him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's always been. I mean, it, I want to almost say that's part of his charm. It did sound stupid, though. It was weird. It was weird. You know what? The first time was one thing, and then when he was on the podium, and like he said, I'm going to drink some beers, and then doubled back to say Budweiser. Like That was the weird part. It me. made him sound like it was foolish. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, obviously, on the other end of the spectrum was just a pathetic display by Cam Newton. I don't care how you put it. Look, he didn't play very well in the game. He wasn't awful in the game. He wasn't. He just wasn't effective. The right. The defense basically rendered him ineffective, and he wore gold cleats with his stats and MVP out onto the field during warm up with a gold Superman shirt. And he, you know, he said before he even got to the Super Bowl that people were intimidated by him because he was black and because they'd never seen a player like him. And he had talked about how much fun he has playing the game and he's just having fun and don't criticize him for dancing and if you want all those things then you can't when you lose put your hoodie over your head not answer any questions and then storm off the stage like a baby yeah i give you just, him you can't do that i give more credence to the the criticism of him as a black quarterback when people talk about like his body language because like Tom Brady like blows up at players on the field and nobody says anything about that really. But that's not totally true. When you see that, you don't say like what is Tom Brady doing? Yeah, but maybe I mean I think 
maybe it's just because he has the rings or something that nobody questions it. Like, it's not cool, but nobody questions, like, I guess nobody questions his leadership because of it. Or if he's pouting on the sideline, no one questions Tom Brady's leadership because of it. Uh, that said, to make the post-game stuff about him being black, I think it's like you said. I think it's more about him being cocky. Like, it's about... I, mean, I don't look at it as a black thing. I look at it as an immature. It's just no, but an I think I think a lot of people are gonna or have made it that, and I think it's more of a if you're gonna like walk the walk, if you're gonna gloat as much as you do or dance as much as you That's do when I you was, win. The way I set it up, yeah. yeah. I mean, then you got to be able to take the criticism. I mean, he said he's gonna play it off as I wear my heart on my sleeve, type and nobody thing. was necessarily criticizing him. They were asking him questions about the game. The game had just ended. Right. You know, and, and just for him to – he didn't handle himself like a professional. He no, didn't and handle I, himself like an MVP. Yeah, I, I think I would – I was embarrassed for him. I mean, if he clammed up and just laughed or was like emotional or something – I mean, he set this up for himself, I think, with the hot dog and with the – I mean, like he said, he made it a black versus white quarterback thing. He did that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that part, I think, is on, is on him. I got criticized on this show by Adam Lazarus. For saying that Cam Newton is a front runner, he said that that made me sound like a homer. I stand by that. Cam Newton is a front runner. The better things are going, the better he is. As soon as things start to go the other way, that's when the bo- the bad body language comes in. That's when the ball starts to sail a little bit on him. That's when he starts to not be as effective. That's when he decides not to jump on a fumble at his feet. Yeah, I mean, what do people? He say? is a front runner. I actually he heard just is. I actually heard a lot of NFL guys kind of defend that. Uh, I was listening to Damashek's podcast today, and they kind of defended like they said, "You'll never see a quarterback really put their arm in there." He said, "I don't buy that." Guys get hurt too easily extending that. Deion way. Sanders flat out called it a business yeah. decision. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Deion blasted him too, and. Uh, this is getting back to the black-white thing. I mean, he's getting blasted by black players. So, I mean, I don't think it's just that. And even Denver, before the game, I think it was, they were saying those guys want to be rappers or want to be backup dancers. We want to be champions. And, I mean, that kind of showed it. They they have a lot of bravado. So, And T.J. Ward had a great quote before the game about how, basically almost backing up what I said, saying how there's two cams. There's the dancing cam, the flamboyant cam, the kicking your ass cam. Yeah. And then there's the dejected, shoulder slumped, bad body language, rattled cam. And we want that one. And they got that one, and that's why they won. Yeah. And I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> I blanked. But yeah, I mean, it was just a great performance by Denver all around. Um, they, they won a Super Bowl where they had 12 straight three and outs on offense. So <laughs> that goes to show you how well that defense played. I think it was the Onion that posted something, like the Onion Sports, that had a, something along the lines of, uh, like when Peyton, when they last punted the ball away, but the game was sealed or whatever, it said something like, Peyton wonders if that'll be the last three and out of his career. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 12 straight three and outs for the winning team in a Super Bowl. Oh, I know what I was going to say. As far as Cam Newton goes, he had an unbelievable year, totally deserved the MVP. That, yep. That team had an unbelievable year. But 
I mean, I think maybe people are getting a little excited about how good he is in general. I mean, he had a fantastic season, but I mean, he's not ready to be in the conversation with the elites like Brady and Rodgers and stuff. And I think that people with 15 and one or seven, 17 and one or whatever you want to call it. Like, I think people were ready to put him like a little too quick to put him there. Like next year's a huge year for him. Yeah, it sure will be. You know, was this year a fluke? Did he maximize his talents for this one year or can he sustain it? Can he be a dominant MVP quarterback year in and year out? We'll find out. The only thing I will say in his defense, as far as the press conference goes, is reporters that were going to act like pious about it, like, oh, how dare he? Like, that's exactly what they wanted. Now they have a story. If he went out there and gave Marshawn Lynch or Bill Belichick answers, like, there's no story there. Like, okay, Cam was quiet and he was coached up and – that, that's true to some extent, but some of the guys who were standing there asking questions wanted answers for their stories. Yeah. yeah. That they were writing about the game. They don't just go – the reporters don't just go to these press conferences to try to embarrass these guys. Right. I mean, they're asking questions. Look, there's degrees. Some are better than others, obviously. But some people go to a post-game press conference to get a specific answer about a play. Yeah, that's fair. That might be more – Reporter by reporter, you know. So, yeah, I mean, the first take guys, you know, uh, you know, uh, idiots like Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless. Skip Bayless, yeah, that's perfect for them. They yeah. love that. Yeah, that's all people are talking about. You know what I mean? But uh, one thing I wanted to mention, I don't have mine, and it's not a cop out. It's just that Don was very good about emailing this to me. Uh, I have your preseason predictions. Oh no. So I, I, you know what I was thinking of this today. When Calvin Benjamin went down, we had to have Carolina in the in the toilet. Oh yeah, everyone did. Yeah, everyone did. And that's the one thing to say to him too. And that's in why his he's the MVP. a little bit. And that's why he maybe should have just toughed it out. Like you don't want to throw your players under the bus, but there was a lot of drops. There was a oh, Kotri played one of the worst Super Bowls for a wide receiver I've ever seen. I mean, they easily could have won that game without their second best offensive player who was hurt in the preseason. So I I mean that's why I won the MVP. Yeah, absolutely. He was fantastic. So yeah, like you said, next year will be a big year when he does get those weapons. Your NFC playoff teams, Seattle in, Packers in, Eagles out, Saints out, Cowboys out, Cardinals in. So you got half of them. Hmm. AFC, Colts were out. Yes, Texans won that division. Yep. Patriots in, Steelers in, Chiefs in, Broncos in, Bills out. So I want the got, Bills there, huh? You got four, seven out of 12 playoff teams. You had Packers over Colts in the Super Bowl. Yikes. Your MVP was Brady. Offensive player of the year was Rodgers. Defensive player of the year is Watt. That's a hit. Uh, he was. Defensive rookie of the year, Leonard Williams. It was Marcus Peters. Offensive rookie of the year, Todd Gurley. It was Todd Gurley. Comeback player of the year, you had Clowney. It certainly no. wasn't him. And Which is crazy considering how well Watt did that year. Your uh, fantasy MVP was Todd Gurley, which you could make an argument. Close, yeah. yeah. You, you could make an argument for him. Uh, so there's some picks from Don. Uh, honestly, I wasn't copping out. I just didn't have time to go fi- figure out what episode we did that and play it back and write them down. Yeah. Um, other news, 945. During the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. Uh, Marshawn Lynch Instagrams a picture of his cleats over a wire with a peace emoji. I saw that. 
So apparently, Marshawn Lynch has retired uh, after nine NFL seasons, which also comes uh, with a report that he has not spent any of his yeah, money. Good for him. Uh, supposedly, he has all forty-nine million of the uh, money he earned. He good lived off endorsements and things like that. Uh, let's see. We got some stuff here. Is this one of those things you want me to? I, I'm wondering, like, where you're going to go with this. Do you want me to look at stats on him or no? Like, uh, <laughs> no, I don't think we need to do that. Okay. Uh, I mean, I think we don't think he's in the Hall of Fame, right? No, I don't think so either. I think I was wondering if that's what you were going to ask me. He's probably like a. Uh, the level right below whatever Hall of Fame is. Although the question I would say to you is this. Is Curtis Martin got in, right? Or was he on the edge? Curtis Martin got in, but he played a lot longer. And Lynch is, has been a better player probably almost every year of his career than Curtis Martin. Yeah, right? if you want to bring up the stats and we want to compare those two guys, I can uh, give you some quotes from the, um, from the article here on NFL.com. Uh, Paul Allen, who's the owner of the Seahawks, and Lynch's uh, agents uh, both offered gratitude to the running back on Twitter on Monday. Uh, apparently, this is no surprise. Um, Lynch has been weighing retirement in each of the last two offseasons. Uh, the Seahawks general manager acknowledged two weeks ago that Lynch was leaning towards calling it a career after a disappointing injury season where he was outplayed by Thomas Rawls. Um, it's just a year ago that Lynch was drawing uh, Raves as the best running back in football after leading the league in rushing touchdowns for two straight seasons, and uh, just like that, he's gone. Yeah, he was he was okay in Buffalo. He really had a. I mean, if you just go yards per average, he's not a. He's going to be a guy that's more remembered for the beast mode runs. You know what I mean? Like he he never was a a breakout guy. He. He was nowhere near Hall of Fame in Buffalo when he got to Seattle. He had he one fit, year. Of, he fit the uh, he fit the bill there. Yeah, he had a five yard per carry year and a four point seven yard per carry year. Other than that, he's like at four point. He's a four point three career rusher. Which yeah, is I, don't, very I don't think good. it was Curtis Martin. I think Curtis Martin was a better player. But uh, goodbye to Beast Mode. Yeah, how how similar? Like he seems a lot like. Uh, Ricky Williams, doesn't he? Like, yeah, just yeah. Kind of a quiet guy that may, you question, like how much he even likes playing football, or is it just something that he happened to be sweet at, so he had to do forever until he could get out. Smart dude, though. If he kept all his money yeah, like that. For, I and... mean, maybe he's really super calculated. I don't know. <laughs> he's a savant. Yeah. All right. One last thing uh, for three things today. So it seems like the Toronto Maple Leafs are clearing cap space to sign Steven Stamkos, huh? Uh, I don't know if you've noticed. Boy, uh, that'd be weird. Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want... How old is Stamkos? He's super young still, right? Yeah, he's a uh, 1991 birth year, I believe. Okay. Yeah, I, I know they finally made kind of a smart move to get out from under a huge contract. They made a nine-player trade. Yeah. Uh, that dealt their captain, uh, Dion Phaneuf, to Ottawa. Uh, the Senators sent basically a bunch of jabrones back. Milan Mahalik maybe being the best of the players. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this was a money deal. Yeah, it was basically... 
And Toronto's not maintaining any of his contract, which is big. If you're yeah, not a no big hockey fan, retained. a lot of times that's what'll happen. Right. This is totally them trying to clear space to try and get Steven Stamkos. He's 25 right now. Now, if you're Steven Stamkos, you're signing up for a team that's further behind in the rebuild than the Sabres. Right, but it's home. Yeah, yeah. It's home. It's an original six team. Sure. Called the Toronto Maple Now, Lakes. any rumor monger will say that, too. Like, everyone wants to play in Toronto. Everyone wants to play in Montreal. But it rarely, that rarely actually seems to be a thing. Well, because, for one, you got to match up money sometimes. Yeah. Uh, this never happens in the NHL. If this actually does come to fruition where, like, a big player like this manages to escape his team, like, this always... You always read about next year's unrestricted free agents, and they always are awesome. Like every year, there's just awesome guys. Right, but, but the they t- never they resign. Hit. Right, but he doesn't seem like he wants to resign. No, it's, re- it's been really weird. Yeah, so that's too bad for Tampa Bay. I thought it was interesting, and you know, as far as you know, as far as Ottawa goes, it's not a bad little move. I mean, Carlson is a Norris Trophy winner, but he's a liability somewhat on defense. So maybe you pair him with Fanuf as your top pair. Fanuf can cover the back line a little bit, and you get Carlson even more space to kind of roam around and do his thing, and maybe that's a sneaky, nice little move for them. It's a lot of money to take on for it. Yeah, yeah, but, but they're kind of built to win now. Yeah, so I don't, I don't mind that trade for them, I don't think. No. Uh, I thought that that's a, a decent little ad. A uh, real quick quote from Brian Murray. We don't expect him to come in and be a savior, speaking of Fanuf. We expect him to come in here. And just be the hockey player that he is. So, you know, for once, it's not a ton of expectations off enough. He can just go in and play. You know, like, there was all those expectations in Calgary. All those expectations when he moved to Toronto. You know, now he gets to go to Ottawa. He's at best their second-best defenseman uh, behind Carlson, who buries the brunt of the expectations. He can just go out and knock guys through the boards and and hopefully create some space for, for Carlson to make plays. So... I think it's a good trade for them. And Toronto, I mean, look at the contracts they've gotten out of in the last year and a half. Yeah, the Clarkson one's The Clarkson one, the Kessel contract is gone, the Faneuf contract is gone, you know, and suddenly you got to figure as of right now they're the favorite to land Stamkos. Yeah, that's pretty wild. So I, I, would ne- I never would have thought he would walk or would go walk, leave the Lightning, but... I guess like you said, if you can get a chance to go home. All right, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a break, and we're going to come back. We're going to talk more about Cam Newton and the Super Bowl and look ahead even to the offseason a bit with Frank Schwab from the Shutdown Corner blog on Yahoo. All right, our next guest lives in Denver and is a graduate of Wisconsin. He is the editor and writer of the Shutdown Corner blog on Yahoo, and he's making his first appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Frank Schwab. How you doing today, Frank? Hey, what's going on? Oh, not much. Just kind of a little bit in that uh, 
Super Bowl hangover mode a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. We have seven months until another meaningful football game. And it's going to be a long off season, like usual. Yeah, and it, you know, and it's like yesterday. You know, as a Saints fan, it's like, geez, we already cut the second greatest offensive lineman in the franchise's history. It's like, oh boy, we're in this already, huh? Like, it's not even. <laughs> Not even time to breathe. Comes up, yeah, it comes up really quick, yep. Yeah, it's like, oh my goodness. So I, I was just, uh, you know, just in celebrate my rival's demise at the Super Bowl mode, and uh, very quickly I was brought back into the reality of, uh, of the situation with my own team. So I have to assume you spent a lot of the day yesterday uh, getting hate mail from everyone who you didn't rank first overall in the way too early uh, power rankings. Yeah, pretty much everybody. Is. <laughs> That's what power rankings do. They Everybody disagrees and thinks you overrate the Cowboys or the Seahawks or whoever, and you don't rank their team high enough. I even got some Jacksonville Jaguars are underrated uh, uh, male. So, you know, hey, everybody, it's, it's, it's about that time. It's amazing how quickly it becomes where the slate is like clean, and everybody believes that their no, team stop. has a chance to pull up them for Broncos. Uh, Yahoo is killing me here. I went to click on your lyrics and, or your rankings. <laughs> Yahoo's just playing a video. <laughs> Sorry about that. Come on, Yahoo. No, all good. <laughs> Yahoo was one of the last sites I could count on not to do that. That breaks my heart. Uh, well. uh, the Jaguars. The, uh, <laughs> the Jaguars were mm-hmm. one team. The Jaguars were one team that jumped out as I. I was like, ah, I think they'll be a little bit better than 30th. I don't know why. They really could. They, they really could. I, I don't I don't discount the, the chances that they're better, but I didn't, I didn't think they had a great year by any means. Let's put it that way. I think that, you know, maybe you get, you get Dante Fowler back from ACL. Maybe he's he's pretty good in his second year. You're going to add a good draft pick there. But, you know, Blake, you know, Blake Bortles had a good year. But he also led the NFL in interceptions, and he did a lot of his work in garbage time. And when, right. you know, I remember back to the, I think it was the Saints game, when, you know, they're down whatever it was, 21-zip, 21-3. Yep. Blake has been terrible up to that point. And you look at the end of the game, and he threw for like 350 yards and three touchdowns or something like that, and you say, well, okay, the numbers look good at the end, but if you watch that game, you knew. And there were just too many games like that this year where, he put up numbers, but he didn't really keep his team in the game, I didn't think. Uh, he's got to make a step forward. That team hasn't won more than five games in a season in five years now. So, yeah, they might they might take a big leap and go to 8-8 eight and eight or something, but I kinda, it's one of those teams where I just have to see it first because it's been so long since they've had any success that I just... I just need to see it first before I really bump them up. But I think they're going to be a lot of people's breakout team in 2016. I think a lot of people are going to pick them to break out. They're going to pick the Raiders to go to the playoffs. But for the Jaguars, I, you know, maybe it happens, but I just need to see it from them. Well, let's uh, let's take a step back because I did not necessarily expect the Jaguars breaking the interview here today. Uh, so that, <laughs> <laughs> that means we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Let's take a step back and um, – Let's real quickly talk about the Super Bowl. What did you see? You know, one thing that I thought I told a lot of people who would ask me, friends and things like that, you know, ask, what what do you think of the game? You know, one thing I thought was, you know, Carolina might win that game 
seven out of ten times if they play. This is a, a opinion I had going in. Um, and one after the game, I think I'm probably wrong. I, I don't think the gap between the two teams was as big as I thought going in. Uh, but what did you think? What did you think? What did we miss kind of collectively? Because it was, I mean, 90% of the money or something like that was on Carolina. Uh, collectively, what did we miss? I think we just overrate. Uh, I think we should. We don't overrate offense. We underrate defense. And the same thing happened in the AFC Championship game. Everybody was picking the Patriots, me included. Uh, I, you know, I fell for that. I in in the Super Bowl, I thought Denver was going to keep it close. Carolina would pull it off at the end. But we forget that. You know, I, I think the stat, and I'm, I'm probably getting a little bit wrong, but not very wrong. I think the stat is that number one defense was in the Super Bowl are ten and two now. They, you know, when you have a defense this good, and, and this wasn't just your run of the mill, they're okay, they're pretty solid. This is a historic defense. I think they're just every bit as good as the 2002 Buccaneers, 2013 Seahawks, those type of defenses, maybe even the 2000 Ravens. I think that they're up in that echelon. Then you forget that, you know, you can shut down an offense when you can play the heck good of defense when you can rush the passer like they can, when you can cover man-to-man like the Broncos can. And I think we just we like talking offense. We, we talk so much about quarterbacks. We talk so much about points being scored in fantasy football, basically, that we forget that defense can win championships, too. I mean, that there's many paths to winning a Super Bowl. We all, you know, talked about how bad the Broncos' offense was and kind of didn't put enough stock into the fact that this, like I said, is a historic defense, not just a good defense, but a historic defense. Yeah, and I think now it's 42 out of 50 times the team with the better defense has won the Super Bowl as well. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's like that old adage of the, the defenses win championships, and I think sometimes we'd like to get carried away into thinking, well, that's that was my father's football. You know, it was my father's football where defenses win championships, and it might just be that that holds true today. And uh, you know, Von Miller was the MVP of the game, obviously, and uh, he changed the game right away. I mean, pretty much. Uh, and and he picked a good time to do it, being a free agent. What did you think of Von's performance in terms of uh, just players on the Super Bowl stage and how it might compare to some of the great performances we've seen from some of the other Super Bowl MVPs? I know they were parading them out before Super Bowl 50, Mm-hmm. Uh, and now he's one of those guys. How, how do you compare that performance maybe to some of the other great ones you've seen on Super Bowl Sunday? You know, I was thinking about this. I haven't. I, I have to admit, I haven't gone back. I might after we're done go back and look at all the defensive Super Bowl MVPs. And just off the top of my head, I think Von Miller might be the best one. If you think about, yeah, I was you know, some too. of our defensive Super Bowl MVPs, yep. uh, Dexter Jackson. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, solid game. I think Simeon Rice had a better game than him, though. You know, Larry Brown. Larry Brown made some big plays, but he was kind of right place, right time. You know, we've had or defensive MVPs. Malcolm Smith is another one who just, I didn't, you know, he made a couple big plays for sure, but I don't know that he was really the dominant force in that game like Cliff Averill was. We, we, most defensive MVPs either came up with a few big plays at the right time, 
right place, right time. Or there was just nobody on offense, so you default and you find somebody on defense. In some in some cases, both happens, where there's just nobody on offense to pick, so you got to find the guy who made the big play on defense. There's not many Super Bowl MVPs throughout history on the defensive side who have just taken over the game. I mean, and, and Ron Miller did that. There was no question who the MVP was, who deserved the MVP. He was the dominant force in that game. He controlled that game. He took over that game. And that that's pretty rare for Super Bowl MVPs uh, on the defensive side. So I, I think that, you know, when we look back and we say, what was the best defensive performance ever in Super Bowl history? It might be Von Miller. I don't, I, I don't know who else. You know, I mean, I think, you know, Manny Fernandez, way, way back, 1972 Dolphins, had an unbelievable game. I think he had 17 tackles and nose tackle. He didn't win the MVP, though. It was Jake Scott. So if we're looking back at what was the greatest singular defensive performance ever in a Super Bowl, Von Miller's probably number one. He he had that kind of a game. And like you said, he's now he rides off into free agency where he's going to get the, free agent, or the franchise tag. And I'm positive he's going to sign the probably the biggest deal ever for a defensive player in NFL history. Yeah, it, it, my brother and I were talking about it after the game. It's like, well, how do you pay this guy now? Like, what? He's almost yeah. redefined the value of the position in that in that one game and, and in this season. It's like, well, of course he's going to get JJ Watt money, but that's just not even enough. It doesn't feel like. So, being his agent right now is probably a nice job. <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be tough for the Broncos because you know they got a lot of they, they've built a great roster, but the the downside to that is going to pay all these guys eventually. With Vaughn, I think you start with Justin Houston and JJ was in the same category too. So right. Justin Houston, JJ Watt got a you know roughly the same deal, and then you kind of add a you know ten percent to it, and you say, okay, this is what we want. I don't say I don't think the Denver Broncos even can argue that at this point. He's a great player. He's been great since he came into the league. He's he's just a he, he's a Derek Thomas, Lawrence Taylor, Bruce Smith type of just difference maker off the edge. And those guys, and t- especially in today's game where there's a lot more, you know, everybody passes the ball a lot more. There's such value on that guy on a on a guy like that, and who could just win one on one. I think he's gonna he's gonna get the highest contract. It's just how much more is he going to make than. Justin Houston, J.J. Watt, those type of guys. Well, you know, it's interesting, too, because, like, I can think of an example in hockey with Tyler Sagan, who Mm. was, you know, this ultra-talented kid coming into the league, but there was a little bit of immaturity there and kind of Boston panic and bailed on him. And now he's tearing up the league down in, in Dallas instead of tearing up the league in Boston. And when Von Miller got into the league, there was a few times when we said, Man, I can't believe Von Miller put himself in that position, or can't believe Von Miller let himself let that happen. But whether it's the way the sport is structured, or whether it's just that the Broncos were patient, it paid off big time for them because we've seen the maturity of Von Miller not just uh, on the field, but also seemingly off it in the last year and a half or so. Absolutely, there's no question about that. There's, you know, he he did. He came into the league and. You know, he was it, was, it was a lot of dumb things he did. I, you know, he was, he was not a guy who was getting in trouble, like, you know, beating his girlfriend type of trouble. It was just dumb things he was doing. It was, hey, grow up a little bit. <laughs> I mean, it, 
I don't think, you know, if you look at all the things he did kind of get in trouble for, if I remember right, there's nothing that you go, wow, I mean, this guy's really a bad guy. He's made to grow up a little bit. And I was really impressed with him Super Bowl week. I mean, I spent enough time, you know, listening in on his, his press conferences and stuff like that. And, and it just the whole time he, you know, never talked about money. Hey, a lot of people obviously asked him about the contract. And he's just like, hey, look, that'll come in a later time. I'm here to play. I'm here... I just want to play play football, and we'll see what happens. Or, you know, asking him this or that, and he just would say, I just want to be the best teammate out here. I don't, it's not about me. I just want to be a great teammate. I thought he just, he, he's, a, he's a, a fun dude. He's, you know, living out here in Denver, I've covered him enough to know he's got a good personality. He likes to have fun. He likes, he's a really funny guy. He likes to joke around, but he's he's matured other than that. He can still have fun and not get into the dumb trouble like not paying parking tickets and stuff. So right. I, I think that he's just, he's, he understood that his, you know, he was getting a bad rep. He grew up. I give him total credit because I think he's, you know, not only is he a great football player, but he's matured a lot too. And he's one of the leaders of this team and, and the Broncos have no problem at all paying him what he's worth because they know they can trust him. They can trust him to be one of the faces of the franchise. Yeah, and that's kind of why I thought Sagan was a good example too because like, you said mm-hmm. some of the things he w- was getting in trouble for. It wasn't these like outlandishly crazy off the field issues, like you said, beating a girlfriend or something like that. And I think that's how it was with Sagan too. Um, it wasn't those kinds of things. It was these little mistakes that kids can make, especially when they're, you know. I think we forget as people who who judge. <laughs> who have no problem sitting from afar behind their computers and judging these guys can forget how enormous a lifestyle change it must be to go from, you know, linebacker, Texas A&M to multi-millionaire linebacker for the Denver Broncos. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. When I was, I think for people to look back on me when I was 22, 23 with that kind of a microscope. So I get it. I do. And, Again, you know, I mean, there's there's a, there's a huge difference between some of the serious things we hear about and some of the things that are just kind of immaturity issues. It, with him, it was an immaturity issue. And by now, he's you know he's a guy who he, he's he's one of the faces of the NFL, one of the faces of the Broncos. He's got, he's earned everything he's got, and he's become a very good represent representative for the Denver Broncos on and off the field. So, yeah, he's 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 going to cash in huge this offseason. Well, speaking of microscope and uh, spotlight and immaturity even to some degree, let's talk about Cam Newton a bit. And before the game, I really enjoyed kind of watching your – I kind of watched you on Twitter try to figure it out a bit. I thought you were doing a real good job of just kind of openly saying, you know, what's going on here with Cam Newton and kind of the way he's perceived and – and some of the hate. And my point was this, as someone who didn't mm-hmm. get a chance to talk to you about it while you were thinking about this. I'm a huge Saints fan. Okay, I've been since I was seven years old. It's a passion of mine, like many favorite teams are passions of others. And Cam Newton, as a Saints fan, I hate Cam Newton the same way I hated Steve Young and Michael Vick. I picked those two guys for specific reasons, because they beat you in a way where it's really frustrating because you think you got them. You think you got them. You think you got them, and then just like that, you're gone. You don't have them. 
then they're beating you, and then Cam, and like Vic, and, and maybe even Young, they, but Cam certainly accentuates this and isn't ashamed of it at all, then he's dancing. And when you're rooting against that guy, that hurts. That's that's frustrating, and and that and that that will that 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 makes you hateable really really quickly. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like to me, absolutely. Yeah. You know, to me, the hate. And I'm not going to be naive and say that other people might have other motivations, but he's a really hateable guy. Part A because of how good he is. And part B because the way he plays the game, so often you think you have him dead to rights. You think you have him right where you want him. And then this guy with his unique skill set makes you realize you don't have him anymore. And I think that's where a lot of the hate comes from. I can't say all. That's where mine does. And I think I know a lot of people where it's similar. Also, people are conditioned to like a certain kind of winner. And Cam Newton is not ashamed to be different than that. And I think that's okay, too. Um, I do think, though, if your position is going to be, look it, man, I just like to have fun. I'm just having fun. This is just who I am. This is just what I do. And you want people to accept that part of it. You can't then act the way he did after the game um, and not expect it to be ten times worse then. And I agree with almost all of that. And there's, look, there's different kinds of hate that go on. There's what I've called before sports fan hate and legitimate hate. I hate Tom Izzo. I'm a University of Wisconsin alum. Right. I love Wisconsin basketball. I, to my, I still every day think about blowing a nine-point lead against Duke in the second half. I, I hate Tom Izzo. Why? Because Tom Izzo is unbelievable. And Tom Izzo is the... It was Bo Ryan's biggest rival the past, you know, however many, 15 years. And I, I hate Tom Izzo. I don't hate Tom Izzo. I'm not going to sit here and, and say, you know, if I, if I met Tom Izzo on the street that I, you know, I, I'd, I'd have ill will towards him. But sports fan hate, I hate Tom Izzo. I don't, I, but I don't hate him other than just the stupid stuff we do as sports fans. Like you were talking about as a Saints fan, you hate Cam Newton because he beats you a lot. Yeah, yeah. I get that. That's, that's common that that happens every sport every team but with with cam it's different and i i separating the people who just have the sports fan hate for cam which i totally get the same way like you said you hated steve young or, or whoever you know I, I mean it just i i'm a brewer fan. i hated albert Pujols. like that stuff like that yes he beats you you hate him i get that this seeps over way more than that and it's not i'm not saying that the, here's the thing people try to I never said everybody who hates Cam Newton's a racist. I never said if you hate Cam Newton, you're a racist and you must like him or else you get called a racist. What I'm saying is there are people out there who dislike Cam Newton because of his race. Like, we can't ignore that. It, it, it would be dumb to ignore that because he, there's a double standard for him in so many different ways. Talking about celebrating, you know, I mean, people talk about how on earth can you celebrate a first down? And, you know, you probably saw on Twitter, I put a lot of gifts up of, 
Tom Brady celebrating first down. This stuff happens. Guys celebrate first downs. Or, oh my God, how can, you know, I, I've never seen a quarterback celebrate a touchdown before. Well, Aaron Rodgers does, and he had a national ad campaign made out of it. So that, that doesn't hold the water either. Or Dan just wants a spotlight on himself. We're talking about Peyton Manning and Tom Brady of hosting Saturday Night Live. Every one of these guys, <laughs> so the Tony Romo, Eli Manning, DirecTV commercials, I, Russell Wilson's with Macklemore on a on an ad for headphones. Like this, he's a quarterback. Every quarterback in the NFL has a spotlight on him. This is just the way it works. So I just think that there was a double standard. And when I wrote about it the Wednesday before Super Bowl week, the Wednesday after the the NFC and AFC Championship games, when he said, you know, I'm an African-American quarterback, and that scares people because they've never seen anything like me because of my skill set. I got so many emails that were just coded with, you know, racial undertones. I mean, nobody's emailing you saying, I don't like Ken Newton because he's black. Nobody says, nobody talks like that. But, the, the you know, he basically saying he needs to be seen and not heard. Or, you know, Ken Newton playing the race card is... You know, he just needs to shut up about it. But this is stuff that, you know, take a step back, look in the mirror and say, what am I saying here, really? Like, I think there's a, there's a big difference, again, between sports fan hate and the hate Cam Newton receives. And I just wanted to, you know, I came into it saying, I don't know if this is a really vocal minority and I'm pandering to them. And then when all the comments, all the emails pour in, I said, you know, this is an issue I want to talk about, and I want to—I'm uh, going to bring this to everybody's attention. I spent most of the rest of the week talking about it on Twitter, as you saw. So, I—I I, I think that I got my point across. And with the stuff after the game, I agree with you. He, he needs to handle it better. He needs to, you know, I, Russell Wilson last year. I was at both Super Bowls. Russell Wilson throws an interception with like 14 seconds left, or whatever it was. He sat there and answered questions, and it was just as devastating for him as it was for Cam Newton. And Peyton Manning, the year before that, just devastating for him, lose 43-8 to eight, as it was for Cam Newton. Right, Scott he Norwood answered, all, answered the all the questions. Scott, Scott Norwood at Super Bowl so Scott Norwood yep. at Blair Walsh after yep. the Seahawks. I mean, it is a, it's part of the job. It's, it's a, it may be a dumb part of the job. Maybe we can, maybe we can debate whether you know, we really need to hear from losing players after a game, but it's part of the job, and people do it, and you can pay a lot of money to do it, and I get it, but also this basically just gave people an easy excuse to rip Cam Newton again. I've covered the NFL for 16, 17 years. I've never heard one person complain about the way a player treats the media. It's never happened before. Except oh, well, I think everyone was Lynch. complaining about Lynch but, last year. I think that was huge. Yeah, yeah, I mean, sometimes, but I mean, for people to be like, oh, okay, you know, how could Cam Newton storm out on reporters? Well, he never cared before. So I, I think it just, he made it easy for his critics. He's not a good loser. We all know this. I'm not, and I'm not saying that, that makes it okay, but he he should have handled it better. He's still a young guy, like kind of like we talk about Von Miller. He's yeah. still maturing, too. He's, this is really his, you know, as far as the NFL goes, he hasn't been in this bright, bright, bright MVP spotlight before, face of the league spotlight before. So he'll learn, maybe. He'll, he'll, maybe, or maybe he's just who he wants to be. I don't know. But, yes, the whole Cam Newton thing is just, there's many layers to it. And we'd be kind of ignorant to say race isn't a part of it. I don't know what part. I don't know what. I can't quantify it. But it, it does play a role. And that's kind of why I spoke out about you know what the emails I got about Cam Newton and what I thought about it, and then he goes and does it after the game, and 
and all of his critics have easy fodder for the you know pretty much the rest of the off season. Couple of real quick counters. One of the very first things I remember as an NFL fan is the outrage in my house, in my city, and in the country over Mark Gastineau's sack dances. Uh-huh. Um, I think he was one of the first to start dancing after sacks, and people hated that. And I remember the fury over it because I remember saying to my mom, this was back when we'd be watching football on like 18-inch color TVs, Sure, uh, I remember. Trust me, yeah. Yeah, you know, and we're and we're watching like the NFL today or whatever at the time, and these guys went on for ten minutes talking about this guy dancing after a sack and how bad it was, and I remember saying to my mom as like a seven year old, like, it's not okay to dance, like having to be like explained <laughs> like what the problem was. So I think that reacting that way on the field has been to the ire of many for years and years and isn't only saved for African-Americans. Also, I totally disagreed with what Cam said before he left the Super Bowl. Um, I've seen, I mean, Randall Cunningham is a very similar quarterback to him. Maybe not quite as talented, but I think they played very similar games. I think we've seen many quarterbacks like Cam. I, I don't think, I don't believe that and again, I'm not going to be naive and say there isn't this, like you said, obviously out there there's people. You know what I mean? Obviously. But right. I don't think that the NFL fan, in a general sense, is afraid of a player like that anymore. I, I think that that's an outdated thought by Cam. And, you know, I, and, and I do agree that where Cam is immature is he's still sort of a front runner in the sense that the better mm-hmm. things are going, the better he's going. When things start start going bad, you start to see the body language. You can just see it on him really well. You know, you can as someone who's who's watched at least two of his games every year he's been in the league and have seen games he's won and seen games he's lost, you can see the difference in the guy when things are going well and things are going poor. And uh, I think there's nothing that can prepare you for it to go poor on the day where you think, and let's face it, they all thought that they were going to be crowned. You know what I mean? And I don't think there's any preparation for that. So I do I do feel bad for him in that sense. You know, like you can't, I, I, you can't yep. prepare for that. You, you just can't. So Right. And I will say there's no doubt he's a front runner as far yes. as he, you know, a lot of guys, I think, and again, he's a young guy, so who knows where he goes from here. He's only 26. But yes, he, when, when things go bad, he, he, he's not an even keel guy, which sometimes you just want out of your quarterback. Sometimes you want a guy who throws an interception or shrugs and goes to the sideline and says, what's the next play? Yeah, I mean, you want that out of your quarterback sometimes. But I think that part of it, the whole, well, part of what makes Cam Newton a great player is the whole package, and that's that he's very over-emotional, that he's just he's out there having fun, and he's just he he's not your even-kill guy. He's he's going to be you know really fired up when he when he throws a nice pass, makes a nice run, his teammates do something well. He it, it, it's kind of who he is, and that's what he's argued. So we'll see where he goes from there. As you know, 
And as far as not seeing anybody like him, I agree that there's been quarterbacks with somewhat similar skill sets. The one thing that makes Cam different is his size. Like, I think we, we, that's the problem is, even going back to the draft stuff with Cam that was very critical, we like to have easy, you know, talking points of comparisons. We like to say, oh, yeah, this guy, you know, Ben Simmons is Kevin Durant because he's tall and he can do a lot of different things and you kind of play on the perimeter. With Cam, you looked at him and you said, well, you know, Randall Cunningham was a great player, but Cam Newton is 50 pounds heavier than him and he's kind of a goal linebacker. He's, he, uh, the best way I've compared, uh, talk about Cam Newton is he's kind of like if you mixed Ben Roethlisberger and Eddie George. Like he's, he's got this cannon of an arm right. and yet he's this powerful, powerful runner. So when, you know, when things came up and, and draft people couldn't just have an easy comparison because I, I, it, it would, you know, I could see the Randall Cunningham thing. Maybe Dante Culpepper is actually the best comparison. Right, People can compare be. him that easily, and they struggled with it to say, "Well, I don't know, you know, how to what to make of this guy. He's totally different than what we've seen in many ways." So I think they struggled with that. So I think that part of it, there is some validity to it. But yes, the, the point you make are great, and I, I will say, like, just because people hated Mark Gasno doesn't mean they're, you know. It, I don't know that there's a, an equivalency there with Cam, just because I don't know we can say, well, we also dislike a, a white guy who dance, so that means there's no racial overtones to, <laughs> or undertones to Cam Newton dancing and people hating it. So well, I think him being I, white. I don't know, but it's tough. It's 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 a it's a it's it's a very very tough thing to quantify. Right, and and I I'm for, I almost wish. Wish for the case of that argument, Mike Gastineau wasn't white because I think what I just meant was is just that you know for as far back as 1987, we've been, oh yeah, we've yeah been absolutely. About I, there's no dancing, doubt that yeah, you know. guys, Chet Johnson, right, uh, Owens, Anthony, you know, going to the Star. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's been a lot of it. Yes, I, I totally agree with with that part of it. The sportscasts are here with uh, Frank Schwab from the Shutdown Corner blog on Yahoo. Uh, just a few minutes left. He's at Yahoo S. C H W A B on Twitter. Uh, the Shutdown Corner blog is on Yahoo Sports. We have the Puck Daddy on all the time to talk about his Yahoo uh, Sports nice. blog. And uh, this is the football equivalent uh, of that. And like I said, he does have a way too early power rankings for 2016. <laughs> but there's no need to send him any hate mail, even if he ranked your team 27th and grossly underrated. Uh, the end of the season that they had, like he may have of my team. Don't do that to him. That's not fair. Um, and I, I bet, but, you know, the reality is, I mean, probably only Panthers fans are being nice to you right now. I mean, even Patriots probably fans at number two, even Patriot fans number two are like, Patriots how dare you? Can, Patriots fans can find fault in anything. Anything. <laughs> like, I They're could write feisty. about... Boy, it's sunny outside here in Denver today, and I get a Patriots fan to tell me, "What are you saying that it's cloudy in New England? Is, is this mean you hate Tom Brady?" I got you. <laughs> it's just the way Patriots fans are. Frank, let's finish with this. Uh, we had the Super Bowl. Uh, we've had a few days to digest it. Uh, like I said, we're already already having cuts. Uh, it's going to start going here now. Pretty soon, we'll be talking about the draft, but. For Frank, as a guy who's got this football blog, I, I always wonder this. What are the things now going into the offseason that interest you the most? What are the storylines you're going to be following the most? What are the things that you are really interested to see play out, let's say, between now and draft? 
You know, it's it's free agency has become this beast in itself, and the draft has become this beast in itself. Like, we could spin off, like, the NFL is such a monster, popularity-wise, that if we just did a, dra- a blog on NFL free agency, and we just did a blog on the NFL draft, like, that'd do pretty well. <laughs> I right. mean, that's why I mean, people ask me all the time, like, oh, so you just write about the NFL, what do you do in the offseason? And I kind of laugh, and I say, well, what are you talking about offseason? There's no offseason in the NFL. Like, people want NFL news every single day. I'm in a, I'm in a fantasy league, long-time fantasy league with a bunch of my friends in California, I remember last mid-May, they were like, why isn't there any NFL news? Why isn't anybody writing about the NFL? It's like, dude, it's mid-May. Like, get a hobby. Like, watch the NBA playoffs or something. Like, come on. Um, the, so, but this offseason, there's no deflate gate, which obviously took up all of my time last offseason or a couple offseasons ago when Aaron Hernandez happened. This season, you know, Peyton Manning, what's he going to do? I think that's a big one. Calvin Johnson, I think he's, I'm still not convinced he's going to retire or else, you know, he's had about six weeks. Why wouldn't you make it official already? So I think the Calvin Johnson watch is interesting. And then, you know, free agency's always, it's, it's, I always, I'm a huge baseball fan. And I always laugh at baseball's free agency because we'll be like five weeks into it and I'll think, but baseball free agency even started? Is anybody signed? Like, right. with football, it's just this fire hose on day one and, and day two where everybody's signing. Everybody just, the world stops for the NFL free agency to see where Ndamukong Su signed or whoever. So uh, that's always fun. And then the draft is just, people love the draft. I think, I think there are people, many people out there who love the draft more than the NFL. Like if you gave them choice between, you can follow the draft, you can follow the, re- the regular season, which do you prefer? I think there are people out there who say, I will follow the draft. <laughs> They're just, it's like football recruiting in high school, you know, in right. college. So, you know, the NFL never ends, man, and it's it's fun. It's great. It's, it's awesome to cover because there's just never a boring day doing it. What you got on Peyton? Oh, I think he's gone. Yeah. I think that, you know, I, I, I before the Super Bowl, I was kind of talking to myself, and I could see him playing again, but I thought the Panthers are going to win. Now that he's won, boy, I don't know. I just don't know. He has nothing more to prove. Unless he, you know, I'll say this, though. He loves the game, obviously. To, to prepare like he does, he loves the game. And he'll have opportunities. I, if you're the Los Angeles Rams right now, and Case Keenum's your starting quarterback, right. if Peyton Manning becomes available, you're going to take a look. If you're at Houston Texans right now, and you went 9-7 with Brian Hoyer and three other guys starting quarterback for you, you're going to take a look at Peyton Manning. So he loves the game. He'll have opportunities. If he wants to play, he, all he's got to do is say yes. That, and he he play for another season if he wants to do that. I don't know that he wants to. He, he probably wants to go out on top, and why wouldn't you? But I'd say it's but I, before the Super Bowl, I would have said it was 80-20 that he's going to retire. But now I think it's probably like 95-5. I, I think he's gone. I think that this is just too good for him to, to pass up going out on a high note like this. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned how much money was going to be spent so quickly. I mean, they're going to spend like a billion dollars in forty-eight hours in free agency, and inevitably, nine hundred and fifty million of it's going to be bad money. And I know the numbers are, and you, I think about, I think like nine hundred twenty-five million of that bad money is the Saints. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, here's the thing about the Saints: we have the greatest free agent signing of all time. There's one guy you could debate against it. That's it. One guy. One I, guy. I that's it. By the way, no, now there's two. Because Peyton Manning was a free agent, too. You can debate Drew Brees versus Reggie White versus Peyton Manning. I think that that's a great argument. And I've, 
before Manning brought Super Bowl to Denver, I had said that Reggie White and Drew Brees were one A and one you know, one and one A. Right. Because both guys changed the franchise. Like they didn't they weren't just good players. Like Drew Brees who I love. I think he's top ten. I think he I think he's underrated historically, Drew Brees is. Drew Brees comes in and literally changes the franchise. Like uh, you know this as well as anybody. He he came in that team was known as the laughing stock of the NFL and Five years later, four years later, they're champions. And he was—he has been unbelievable, Hall of Famer, top ten all time. He's—he's he's fantastic. And the same with Reggie White. When Reggie White signed in Green Bay, it, nobody believed it. I mean, because Green Bay was the place where, you know, when players were screwing up, coaches would threaten them, "Hey, if you don't straighten out, I'm going to send you to Green Bay." Because I mean, it was a, a wasteland of the NFL at that point in right. 1993. People forget that because Green Bay has been good now for 24 years in a row, that Green Bay from 1968 to 1991 was terrible. They, they went to the playoffs twice. Yeah, and once was it. that strike-shortened 82 season. So both Reggie and Drew Brees you know, changed the game in free agency, and those are the gold standard guys, and Peyton probably is, is in the mix somewhere there too. Yeah, and then and Jairus Bird is in the mix for the worst free agent contract of all time. So <laughs> it's it's nice. yeah, I couldn't believe this. I looked this up. It was you saw this in Power Rankings, I'm sure. That the Saints have 22 million in dead money next year. Yeah, but the Colts are second. The Colts are second with 15 million in dead money, and nobody else has more than six. So it goes from six to 15 to 22. Like it's unbelievable. I just the Saints have been such an impulse by team the last few years. Like I remember. When they two years ago, we were talking about Jarris Bird. They cut, you know, they cut a lot of good, solid depth veteran guys like right, Jenkins Bull, and, and Will Smith, Jenkins, and then they just yeah, and then yeah. they just spent all their money on Jarris Bird. It's like it was like they could they they couldn't wait. They had a little bit of money in their pocket. They're like sixteen year old kid with his first paycheck, and they had a little bit of money in their pocket. They had to blow it all on Jarris Bird, who's turned out to be a disaster. So I, the Saints, uh, I just. But they need to rein it back a little bit. One thing about the twenty-two dead million money, of dead money is criminal. Yeah, like ten or eleven million of that is Junior Gallette, and that's not their fault. It's just not. Yeah, because yeah that's true. I agree. I agree. Nobody, that, that was a tough one. That's nobody true. thought that that was a bad contract when they gave it to him, and nobody knew that the guy was going to get the contract and start hitting girls on the beach with a belt, and just you know. That one, I mean, look at. I'll, I'd be glad to do another thirty minutes killing some of the things Mickey Loomis has done. Uh, believe me, <laughs> but um, that that Junior Gallette thing—that's not their fault, and they had to do that. No, that was just bad yeah. luck. Sometimes it happens. Bad yeah. luck happens in the NFL, and on top of mismanaging some things, they did catch that bad break. Right, I absolutely agree with that. Jarris Bird and Brandon Browner. You want to go down those roads? I'd be more than glad to. T.J. Spiller, C.J. Spiller might be another. C.J. Spiller, like, I'll give him another year. Spiller and, and nobody can understand, like, why did you get C.J. Spiller? I think everyone okay, could understand. Okay, that doesn't make a ton of sense, but you got to have a plan for him, I guess. And then they didn't have a plan for him, so that made no sense to me whatsoever. No, I just think Spiller was brought in to be the next in the line of Reggie Bush and Darren Sproles, and right. C.J. Spiller is just another help. I'll give C.J. Spiller another year. Um, they have no choice, obviously. I mean, he's going to have to get another year. Uh, but uh, I have a little bit of hope there. You can find Frank on Twitter. He's at Yahoo, uh, S-C-H-W-A-B. The Shutdown Corner blog is uh, part of Yahoo. Um, I think I said Yahoo twice when I went to say Twitter one of those times. 
but Frank's got me rattled here talking about bad Saints contracts. Talk, talking Saints, talking Jarris Bird. <laughs> yeah, Jarris Bird was doing a question and answer on Twitter last night. You don't know how hard it was for me to ask him. Uh, how many games... How many games do we have to wait for you to get an interception before you're the biggest bust in, in free agent history? But I <laughs> I, I restrained myself. Come back. That's yeah, good. I guess he does have one as it is anyway against Houston. But whatever. All right, Frank, anything else you want to put out there? No, no, I, I appreciate the time. And just, hey, yeah, go read my power rankings and tweet all your hate at me because, hey, <laughs> why not? It's yeah, season. I'm sure that the, uh, let's see, who, who's really mad at you? Uh, probably Saints fans. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> Saints, Saints uh, the Jags, uh, yeah, this going to always be, uh, the Packers fans are really mad at me because I ranked them below the Vikings. It's like, well, Ooh. you lost, you lost, yeah, and I'm saying, to them at home, I think it's justified, but, you know, uh, Packers fans hate me, even though I was born in Milwaukee and went to school in Madison, that Packers fans do hate me because I'm critical of their team, so hey, that's okay, too. Bills fans got to be happy with you because 14 would would end their 16 year playoff playoff drought. I mean, you know they they're, they're yeah they're right on the the cusp there. Right. I think that you know Bills fans are just <laughs> boy Bills fans. I'll tell you what I, I deal with every team's fans and it's great. It's really fun actually. And Bills fans, I'll tell you, are just so desperate to just make the playoffs one. So, just, yes. just so they don't have this streak hanging over their head. They it kills them, and I understand why. Well, you know, the Bills fans, so many of them are people I love, you know, people in my life who I really, really love more than, you know, anyone. You know, I, I live in Buffalo, I was born and raised here, and, you know, so almost all of my family are these huge Bills fans, and, like, man, I felt so bad for them. Did you see what the thing in the Super Bowl pregame show with the – they did this – Oh, I heard about this. Oh, yeah. it was so patronizing. They just poking the bear at that point. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't funny. It was, like, patronizing. So many of the Bills, like, stars, like, part- sold out and participated. It's like, oh, man, you you talk about a Super Bowl party getting surly. You should have been at my brother's house. I mean, I... <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. But, all right, Frank, we're way over what I asked for, so I really appreciate that. I had a lot of fun doing this. Um, and let's do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Sometime. It was a lot of fun. All right. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, Frank. All right, I want to thank Frank Schwab for being on the podcast today. First timer. I always like having first timers. Yeah, it sounds like we got a lot of uh, regulars coming up the next couple of weeks, so it's nice to get new guys in. Uh, this is your brain on sports, the science of underdogs, the value of rivalry, and what we can learn from the T-shirt cannon by John Wertheim and Sam Summers. Now, the first chapter in this book, Don, yeah. is about whether or not it's true that quarterbacks are handsome. Ha! Okay. And uh, I want to find that's what, that's something. That's you caught me on last time. Yeah, okay. All right. So, get ready to feel really embarrassed. Okay? They did a thing. Okay. Here's what they did. We factored in ethnic- ethnicity. About three-fourths of the NFL starting quarterbacks over the past decade have been white. So we held this demographic rate constant across all positions. Due to this, we randomly selected one white, one non-white wide receiver and defensive back from as many uh, teams as possible. Then they randomly selected players from a pool so they had a comparison group of wide receivers that was 75% white and 25% non-white. 
Okay. And defensive backs at that same racial split so that they could compare the positions. Right. Right? So ultimately, they do decide that quarterbacks aren't necessarily the most handsome. Okay. How do they just, how do they figure that out? Did they well, like here's what they people? did. Okay. They recruited 100 people on rate, online to rate using 1 to 10 scale players whose photos were presented in random order. Okay. They didn't tell the Raiders they were football players. And then they ran the study a second time, recruiting a new gra- group of 100. Who was the most handsome of them all? Now, get ready to have your heart broken. Alex Smith, according to these 200 people, <clears throat> is the most handsome quarterback of all time. Of all time? Well, of no. Oh, okay. of, in uh, the NFL. In the NFL. Of quarterbacks, right. Where do you think he ended up on the 1 to 10 scale? Let's go with like a seven. A six point five four. Okay. That's the handsomest. <laughs> I guess Drew, that shows how Drew Brees got it is. a three point nine. Wow. Drew Brees is a three out of ten? <laughs> wow. What does that make us? Tony Romo was yeah. a four point eight. What about uh Tom Brady? Tom Brady, married to a supermodel. He's a six. Alright. What? Jimmy Garoppolo, not on that list. They're just doing starters, probably. Yeah, it's just starters. But, like, what? Sam Bradford was a 3.28. He was the, the ugliest quarterback. <laughs> I wonder if they if they found – like, did they like, go out of the way to find – Who are these people? Did they find flattering pictures of them, or did they find – Are these the cruelest people of all time? Yeah, they, they, they're great, tough. I mean, I, we, we heard a lot this week because Cam Newton was in the Super Bowl, how he's considered a very handsome guy. Sure. According to these 200 people, he's a 4.39 out of 10. Wow. I wonder – I know at some of these polls they say that uh, people are either going to vote a 1 like, or a 10, but maybe nobody was voting the 10. Maybe they thought like the highest was like 7. Like, what I, assholes, huh? Yeah, that's rough. Like, so what was the most attractive position? Um. Nope, I did it again. Yeah, I asked you a question you didn't know. I, I don't know. I haven't gotten through it just yet. I just started reading it. But I thought it I said we have to So the vibe talk about I, the vibe I got from the title of this book reminds me of two other books we've talked about on this podcast. One being scorecasting, yeah. And the other being the Puck Daddy's Glow Pucks and Ten Cent Beers. Like it's got that kind of like quirky angle to it, and then it's got some science behind it. They did three positions. Wide receivers were the most attractive. Okay. Um, then quarterbacks, then defensive backs. Hmm. But I just can't get over the fact that... Alex Smith is the best-looking player, and he's like a six? And he's six he's, and he's, he's a seven. Yeah. If you use the, the, the rounding rules of, you know, five up, right. less than five down, he's the only seven. Tom Brady's a six, the only six. Hmm. It's like what? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd be afraid if they mixed my picture in there. I guess my guess about this book, by the way, is that this is Scorecasting Two, but the co-author of Scorecasting One couldn't do it, so it's a new co-author, so they have a new name. Okay, that's kind of my feel of the book. We'll talk to John about it. There is a scientific way that people determined. Uh, 
I've heard about a study before to determine like attractiveness, and it had to do with something like the symmetry of your face. And there's like a magic; they call it like a golden ratio, and it's like how far apart your eyes are, and all this other stuff. And uh, I want to say they said like Michelle Pfeiffer had the perfect face at the time they did the study. I wonder if they applied that that golden ratio to these quarterbacks. They found 200 very tough graders. Yeah, yeah, because that's that's a little rough. Oh, by by the way, EJ Manuel is like number three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never thought about it either way, I guess. But when I mean, you just think there's NFL quarterbacks that aren't Andy Dalton, there are threes. It's <laughs> like, whoa. So I don't know what that says about us, Don, but. I don't know. I don't have money or. Well, they don't know that. Phenomenal These are just Oh, pictures. right, right, right. They did say that, yeah. So, but, man, tough grading. This is your brain on sports, the science of underdogs, value of rivalry, and what we can learn. From the T-shirt Canada by John Wertheim and Sam Summers. This is in stores now. You can buy it on Amazon and you can buy it at Barnes & Noble. Uh, you can even buy it in the Tribeca Barnes & Noble where my brother went <laughs> as a favor and bought me a copy of Fast Food Maniac by John Hine from the Howard Stern Show. Okay. We tried to make this book a book club book of the month and they ignored us. Hmm. So they had... Apparently, they're selling so many of these that they didn't even need to respond to my email. Three Rivers Press is the publisher, huh? We guess yep. Now, I emailed not them. Not sports fans. I followed their protocol on their website for how to do it and did not get a response back. Bummer. They're just so selling so many copies. So. All right. We're going to take a break and come back with Luke Wynn. <laughs> Our next guest is from Wisconsin and is a graduate of the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern. He is a senior writer for Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com, and his power rankings column on college basketball is the best power rankings column on the internet. He's making his ninth appearance on the podcast today. Warm sportscasters, welcome to Luke Wynn. What's up, Luke? Hey, Steve. How you doing? How you doing, buddy? We missed you. Yeah. I was waiting for, you know, to have like the ninth year where you asked me whether Northwestern's going to make the tournament. And then I have to say, oh, no, I don't. I don't think it's going to happen this time. But, is, uh, is, yeah. <laughs> is Duke going to make the tournament? Is Duke going to make the tournament? Duke will make the tournament. Okay. Yeah. Duke's going to make the tournament. Duke isn't as bad as, as people think. Duke's, Duke's in the tournament and... I actually think if they if Emil Jefferson can come back, uh, that's actually a team that can still go deep in the tournament. So I wouldn't write them off. Well, I mean, of all the times you've been on, we've never had a chance to kind of lead off with Oklahoma and to make any sense. So we might as well lead off with Oklahoma since it makes sense. You wrote a column in the magazine uh, this week about uh, the three-point revolution in college basketball and how Oklahoma's kind of at the front of that. And uh, you wrote a little bit more about it in the power rankings column again today. And I'm excited about Oklahoma. Don't get me wrong. Uh, This doesn't happen very often that they're a team that is 
kind of in the position they're in, but there's something about them that has me very, very guarded. I just don't know. I just don't know that they're as good as maybe they've played. And uh, talk me out of that a little bit, will you? Talk you out of it. Well, I think that I think they're a bad. I think they're playing around their their talent level. I mean, they do. Okay, so the risk with Oklahoma and part of the thing in that story is that Oklahoma in the Big Twelve in Big Twelve play um, has taken forty three percent of its shots as threes. Oklahoma has amazing three-point shooters. Right. Buddy Heald is, you know, everyone knows that. Probably the best volume three-point shooter in the country. Isaiah Cousins has changed his form and gone from an ugly shooter as a freshman to a great shooter as a senior. Jordan Woodard's a strong shooter. Ryan Spangler's a legit stretch four. Um, so they have a core of really good shooters, but the track record of teams that have taken more than 40% of their shots as threes in the NCAA tournament is just, is not that great. It's tough. It's like, because, you know, you have this championship format that, you know, it's not the NBA where you're playing a bunch of long series in home gym, home and away gyms. You're playing, you need to win six games in a row on three neutral courts. And I think for whatever reason, sometimes that the three point strategy can be a little volatile. And I know this isn't me talking you out of it, but I'm saying that's like the that's that that's what makes can make give you pause about Oklahoma. Okay, the reason Oklahoma isn't like a bunch of those other three point dependent teams, and you know could be better than them, is that you know Oklahoma's got one. They've got like a, a good defense to match. I think a lot of those three point teams classically have not guarded that well. Um, Oklahoma has a decent defense. They're not deep up front, but I think that the Kadeem Latin Spangler front court does, you know, between Latin's altering shots and Spangler's rebounding, does a pretty decent job of protecting the interior. Um, they guard pretty well. So they've got the defense to match. And, you know, I think that when it's not like they only can score with the three. I mean, Buddy Heald can get to the line. Right. Uh, you see their their guards can attack. They don't have a post presence. Uh, you know, they're not a team that's going to throw the ball inside and, and post up much. But their guards can attack and get points. It's not the only way they can score. Um, I also just think that, you know, you've seen them show up in big games. I mean, they, okay, they lost to Kansas State last week. But, you know, in big games this year, and even on the road, like, they, went, they go toe-to-toe with Kansas in a really hard place to play three overtimes you know they win at lsu not a great team but that's not an easy place to win they've won at baylor uh they've they've beaten villanova on a neutral court like that they've beaten teams of differing styles they've been able to win on the road and neutral and neutral courts uh, there's a lot of stuff to like about this team and i i think lalon kruger is also needs to be regarded as you know one of the smarter coaches out there um he's got a lot of experience i don't think he's the kind of guy that's going to be bad strategically in the ncaa tournament when he has a really good team well i have a lot of respect for Lon because i mean he brought the program back from a completely empty cupboard um and uh it took him a while but he's done it and you know one thing i like about the team is they've come back from a a few double digit deficits that's probably because of how good they can shoot the three. You know, if they get into a bad stretch in the game, if they get into foul trouble, they fall a bit behind. They've shown the moxie and the ability to cut those leads and win those games. 
Um, certainly the uh, the uh, LSU game is a good example of that, and the Texas game even the other day is a good example of that. What really bothers me about him is they really only have five guys that are any good. Um, I don't know what they're going to do if they get an injury in the tournament, if they really have really, really bad foul trouble in a game. I mean, there's just no depth there. And it does, it was a little discouraging in that Kansas game, the epic game they played this year. I felt like the reason they lost that game was every time a timeout was called, uh, the other coach had a better plan coming out of it. And I know that that's, uh, that's, uh, that's one of the best coaches in college basketball over there in Kansas, but when you're going to need to win a huge game in the NCAA tournament, my guess is there's going to be a guy uh, that's a great coach on the other end as well. So those are my concerns, even more than this idea that they're a three-point dependent team. Yeah, I think you know, you know, um, not that not that many of these guys are great, but I think that like Dante Buford in some games has given them decent minutes off the bench. Yeah, they, and I mean. Manning has not been the kind of like great backup center that, that oh, you, you would want. No. Uh, I thought, I mean, he was kind of highly rated coming up Juco and he, he's done less, but, but I think that probably uh, they don't have the greatest bench, but I think Buford and Christian James, they can give okay spells of relief and Dingell Walker overall uh, too turnover prone, but he can come in. You know, there's a few games where he comes in and it has these little like microwave moments off the bench. So um, there's that. I mean, I agree with you. Sometimes Kansas is out of timeout plays were a little better, but another thing to like about Oklahoma is that they don't have, you know, they buddy healed is their clear star, but he doesn't have to be the guy who takes the final shot. I think they have three right. guys, three big shot makers. Yeah. You cousins know, buddy and Woodard, big yeah. shots. Cousins, yeah. You know, he makes the game winner at LSU. He's hit big shots. And Woodard in that Kansas game made some huge shots, too. So you've got, I think you've got three guys who are confident enough to take big shots and want them. It's not like one of those teams where you're like, who's going to take the shot at all? Like, they don't even have anybody to do it. Like, Oklahoma has three options for those big moments. Um, And that makes me feel good about them, too. Now, I have uh, been more invested in this college basketball season uh, pre the end of football because of how good my team has been. And you even made a joke in your column, uh, your power rankings column, uh, kind of welcoming the post-Super Bowl in signing day crowd. So let's assume uh, that some of our listeners fit into that uh, fit into that category. What is What are some things you'd like to tell them about maybe what they missed and what they can look forward to? Yeah, I mean, I don't know why anyone was watching football instead of basketball wasting their time in, in, that, in that fashion Dopes, <laughs> um, yeah. which I, I don't agree with at all but um, what have you missed i mean okay you missed the emergence of of buddy healed um as kind of this charismatic star you missed a uh, denzel valentine who you saw uh you saw in the final four last year that's an excellent player kind of take the leap from good Michigan State player to National Player of the Year candidate who's playing the point and pretty much doing everything, scoring, uh, leading the offense. Uh, it's just, I mean, putting up massive, massive numbers. Um, he, he has been, I, he got hurt briefly in Michigan State, you know, was number one for a while and has like tapered off a little bit, but I think Denzel is still a huge story. Um, you have kind of the 
a big story too is just kind of the awkward struggles of Kentucky and Duke who were top five teams to begin the season. Um, and now we're kind of like, I wouldn't say it's use the term at a crossroads, but you know, Kentucky is like, is, is tied for the sec lead, but has underperformed. And I think people are still kind of figure trying to figure out whether, you know, is this a team that can, if it gets its act together, can actually still contend for a final four as, you know, some Calipari teams have done in the past after not playing well in the regular season, or do they have some fatal flaws? And for Duke, it's, um, you know, despite having Brandon Ingram, who, could be the number one or two pick in the draft. And Grayson Allen is a good scoring star. Um, they're very thin. And can they defend at all? Mid-season last year, though, that was a big question with Duke, too. I mean, I, I could remember in January people basically saying, writing Duke off and saying, this team can't guard anyone. I don't see how they're going to. I don't see how they're going to go deep in the tournament or, you know, ever sniff a national title. And you know what? I mean, they it's not like they became incredible, but they, through using zone and some tricks and just kind of figuring a few things out, they, they put together a acceptable defense and they won it all. So, you know, to write them off now would be silly. They've got, so they have flaws, but who knows? It's only early February. Hey, they also missed half of uh, Ben Simmons college career. And they uh, they did. And I, I did my uh, celebrity profile of Ben Simmons uh, earlier <laughs> this year. I guess they, they've missed the um, – so a, a, I guess a football fan who only watched football and has not watched any college basketball would be like the only person who isn't uh, over – who isn't kind of like backlashing against the Ben Simmons type at this point because any right. college basketball fan – They've had enough. Every yeah. general college basketball fan because yeah. of – you know, everyone's coverage. I'm a part of the problem, but it's more ESPN is the is the the, the chief offender of just yeah, going you know overboard on Ben Simmons. He's really good, and he probably is the number one pick. But also things like a Ben Cam in games, and you know, <laughs> giving doing the post game interview every time with Ben Simmons, even if he's not the guy who played the best in the game, has kind of been. I think the hype part of it has been wearing on people, and the fact that LSU has dropped out of the polls. Even though I, I think when you remove the like obnoxious green room guys, ESPN hype, and and things like that, you have to admit that Ben Simmons is still a really good player <laughs> and, um, and, and a rare talent and still justifies attention. It's just that it's people may have gone a little overboard. With now is that's a team that's to the point where they're going to need to win their conference tournament to see Ben Simmons in the NCAA tournament. Correct. Well, I don't know if I go that far. Okay. Right? I mean, I, I guess that would be the guaranteed way that way they get in, but you know, if they were to win out, or they have a tough schedule. It's a, they they play at Kentucky, at Arkansas, still left. They still have uh, Texas A and M coming up at home. Uh, it's not an easy schedule, and they have Florida at home. So, but if they were to win the, uh, let's say they they have seven regular season games left, I think in the SEC. If they were to go like six and one and win the SEC regular season title outright and pick up quality wins over Texas A and M. Uh, Florida, Kentucky, like that's that's a pretty decent resume. If if that happens, I don't think it's projected to happen. But if that happens, I think they get in that shape of being you know last four teams in, and and the NCAA would love to have ratings of like a Ben Simmons right. team in the first four, right? So yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't shock me. 
That you ended know, up happening. You know, I was looking at your Power Rings column that came out today on SI.com before we, before we talked. And one thing I thought was pretty wild is I was just kind of counting down. It's like number one was Virginia. Number two is Oklahoma. Number three is Villanova. Number four is Maryland. Number five is Iowa. It takes till number six to Kansas until you get to one of those, I don't know the right way to put it, maybe like all-time programs. Like the, you know what I'm talking about, the Kansas, Duke, North Carolina. It takes to number six to get to one of those teams. Uh, Tell me a little bit about teams like Iowa and Maryland I mean, these have got to be, and, and even Virginia, I mean, these are definitely teams that football fans who haven't paid attention probably know nothing about. Yeah, I mean, I, I like years like that where yeah, I like it too. it's less obvious. Yeah, it's and college football, I always find, I mean, as much as I enjoyed working on it a long time ago, the repetitiveness of the same team, same, you know, juggernaut teams being at the top every year i guess more i mean basketball seems to have a little more fluctuation and and be open to having a team like uh, having a few new teams at the top every year um if i'm breaking down these not that they're newcomers but these teams that aren't blue bloods that are at the top i mean virginia you probably knew them last year for their defense, which was carrying them. Um, this time around, they're they're kind of more flexible. I think that they've they, they have the ability to play with three guards. They had Darius Thompson along with uh, Perantes and Brogdon, and and they kind of uh, they haven't used that starting lineup, but they're kind of a they can go a lot of ways, play big, play small. Their offense, I think, they have an easier time scoring this time around and a little more balanced. And in the last few weeks, starting to see. Defense. Virginia play the, the classic like Tony Bennett pack line defense that they're known for. Um, I, I guess I really like this team maybe more so than I have in years past when they got bounced, uh, bounced a little too soon as a high seed. Uh, Iowa, I was a little bit of a surprise. I mean, Iowa wasn't even rated in the top 20 polls coming in the year. Jared Utoff is the, I guess would be the, surprise member of the like player of the year conversation he was a guy if people remember back uh, was at wisconsin and was really only known because of a, like a transfer controversy when bo ryan kind of got uh prickly about jared wanting to leave because jared was kind of buried on the bench behind like sam decker uh he probably you know nigel hayes probably would ended up taking his spot there wasn't a clear route path for him to start at Wisconsin, so he wanted to leave and go home to Iowa where he grew up, and Bo Ryan tried to prevent it, and it was like a big controversy, but Utah uh, has now like buried that part of his story and just become a really, really good player, all-around guy who's kind of this, um, you know, he's a He'll, he'll play a lot of power forward, but he's he's a guy who can score on threes. They run him off a lot of screens. He's also just kind of emerged as like an excellent defender, very long-armed guy. He's blocked the most threes of anyone in the country. And Iowa is like probably is a balanced team, plays an up-tempo game, uh, running shooters off a lot of screens. It's a pretty fun team to watch. Um, I don't know if they're the best team in the Big Ten. They are they're the best record. They have the best efficiency right now. Uh, I maybe think, still think that Maryland and Michigan State might be better candidates to go deeper in the NCAA tournament. Maryland is like a, a cool experiment because they've blended together a lot of different parts. You had Mello Trimble coming back. He's a, he's a player of the year candidate, but they, they blended in Rashid Suleiman, transfer from Duke, uh, Robert Carter, transfer from Georgia Tech, Diamond Stone, a five-star recruit. Um, 
they're, they're kind of like mixing in all these different parts and it's worked. Uh, they, they've, I think they're even getting better lately. They're, they have, you know, sometimes when you're picking tournament teams, you look at like NBA level talent, how much do they have? It's not the only determinant of how deep they go, but sometimes like those teams do do better in the long run, or at least I think so. And, and Maryland's pretty loaded in that regard. So uh, th- that's a team to, even if they're not going to win the big 10 outright, they may, they're going to be pretty dangerous. The Big Ten has four of your top 15 teams. Is that the best conference this year? Big 12 is the best conference. I think that's by far the, the best conference. Um, Oklahoma, top to bottom. Kansas, West Virginia, yeah. Yeah. I, Texas. I, you know, the, the thing with the, the, the Big Ten is that it's top heavy. It's got Iowa, Maryland, Michigan State, uh, who Purdue. It's a decent team. But there have been years, like over the last decade, where the Big Ten is really good, like, 10 teams deep, um, you, you know, competing for NCAA tournament spots. And the Big Ten really drops off this year after, I think, that 6-7 six, six, range. And there's teams at the bottom of the Big Ten that are just kind of like lost causes. And I think there's some easier games this year than there have been in the past. Whereas the Big 12, every team but one, which is TCU, is in the top 100 of like Ken Palm's efficiency rankings. There aren't easy games. I mean, Iowa State goes to Texas Tech, and that's not an easy game last night, and loses. Uh, it's just the, t- it's the toughest schedule that anyone has to go through. Right. Yeah, that, that is right in front of my face. I missed it. How obvious that is. It has been a really brutal conference this year with Iowa State. Is good this year. I mean, even like, you know, Oklahoma losing to um, Kansas State this weekend uh, in Kansas State, <clears throat> which, I mean, you'd rather not have that happen. Uh, and West Virginia is a good team again this year. Um, a team that's been near the top, uh, who we've missed near the top uh, this year, has been North Carolina. Um, they're they're back to being a powerhouse. Not that they were gone long. Uh, what about North Carolina this year has made them was twenty and four. Um, definitely one of the better teams in the ACC. What do you like about North Carolina this year? Uh, there's there's stuff to like. There's stuff to dislike. Um, I, I would say that the big positive development at North Carolina is um, Bryce Johnson, who senior forward. He's kind of been a guy who, um, I mean, not that he was absent from their offense in past years. He, he was a, a very strong offensive player last year, but he has put together a, a really highly efficient season and plus been like uh, an elite rebounder. He's, I think he's shooting... I got to look at this, look at the numbers here, but Bryce is shooting over 85%, you know, within five feet of the basket, which is a a wild stat. And it's not like he's unguarded all the time there. Okay. The actual number 80, sorry, 82% within five feet of the basket. Um, That's, that's insane for the amount of, you know, post defense attention he gets. I mean, he's just been been this amazingly efficient option. He's kind of, finally uh playing like a star role uh it's not okay he's, he, he still has some games where he's up and down like he's, he's not 100 percent consistent <laughs> like boston college game uh this week he only has nine points that was kind of a scare they only win by three but when he's on you know he's liable to have some pretty crazy games like at florida state in january he went 14 of 16 for on twos and scored 39 points and, you know, had 23 rebounds. It was probably one of the most impressive single game performances of the year. So I really like him. Um, I, you know, Marcus Page, who is a preseason 
player of the year candidate, I guess on the other hand, you know, he's not playing poorly because he's he's a really smart player and I think he knows how to play efficiently, but his three-point accuracy is way down. He's under 30%, uh, which is not uncharacteristic for him. He's he's not he's just not scoring in the way he has in the past. And I think that, you know, if Carolina is actually going to win a title, he needs to be he needs to play like a bigger and more effective role in their offense. The other thing that's just holding them back is you hoped that from last year, they make, you know, they they make the Sweet 16, they lose to Wisconsin. You'd probably say okay, their flaw was that they didn't have a great defense, but they're ranked like 51st in defense. But you figure they're bringing most of the guys back, and, and not, it's a, a lot of the same personnel, but as, as teams age and get more comfortable around each other and increase communication, defense tends to get better, I guess, in college basketball. But North Carolina is almost at the exact same level they were last time. And so I guess if, as you're picking them, the tournament, it's like, you know, they have this elite offense, and, and teams with that profile have made it deep, but are they going to be able to guard well enough? And and lately, they haven't looked great defensively. It scares me a little bit. One of our favorite things about the NCAA tournament every year is some team outside of the power conferences make it, makes a huge run. Uh, we've seen... We've seen a mid-major miss winning the national championship on like a 50-foot bank shot, just barely. Uh, who is the team that you think could make the best run this year? Is it Dayton, Wichita State? What what team from the mid-majors do you think could make the strongest push in the in the tournament this year? Well, you know, Valparaiso is is statistically strong, but I feel like I've picked them to win game uh, to pull off upsets in the tournament like two years in a row, and they just they don't seem to pull it off. So I don't know if I trust them, uh, but they are twenty and four, and they have the number one defense and efficiency. So, you know, look at Valpo at the horizon, but the, the team that if you are looking at mid-majors, I mean, it's not a, this isn't a, a risky pick, but I still think it's Wichita State. And Wichita is kind of followed an interesting arc, right? This year, they, they begin the season high up in the polls. Just They have Van Vliet, Baker, back, uh, probably one of the best backcourts in the country. But um, they struggle a little bit early on. Van Vliet gets hurt. He, I think he had a hamstring issue, and he misses their whole like uh, early season tournament. They lose three games, and so they they start two and four, and 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 that eventually goes like five and five. And so Wichita State just dropped out of the polls entirely. And I think that they got forgotten a little bit. Um, but now you know they're twelve and one in the Missouri Valley. They're still really good. They have some flaws uh, in that they, I'd say they don't have the greatest front court, but. When you're talking about you know tournament teams, I, I think you know backcourt matters so much, and having probably the most, I, I haven't done the math on it, but you got to think that Van Vliet and Baker would be the most experienced tournament backcourt out there, and and also successful combination. And so I, I just think they're not going to have a great seed, but they're still like a really big threat to go deep. I still, man, I still. <laughs> I, I still often, every time I see it, I, I just think, man, imagine if that Hayward shot would have went in. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Isn't I, can it? Still, I can still like remember where I was sitting. And, uh, and that's one of those ones where I just don't. I think my head would have exploded and I wouldn't have been, been able to write. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I had so much. Um, I, you know, I wasn't just covering that game. I got assigned to. I just lucked into it. It's not like I was 
so ahead of things, but I just kind of, I got sent to Salt Lake City that year for the tournament when Butler was in the regionals. And so I was kind of on that story early and had followed them a little bit earlier, had stopped through Indianapolis once earlier in the season. And so it was kind of just felt like I was pretty plugged in and, and understood that team well in the stories. And so I, I guess I definitely developed like an attachment to it as much as any sports writer, you know, is allowed to like root for something. Right. You're rooting for a good story. And Butler was an amazing story. Yeah. And then that was like, Oh my God, this would be the greatest <laughs> thing I've ever come my, you know, my life just at right there. So close. Uh, uh, the, um, we got about four weeks or so uh, till the tournament for you, someone who's as plugged in as you are to everything that's going on in the nation. What are the things you're going to be following the most closely as we get ready for the tournament? What are the story or storylines that are most important to you that you want to see play out between now and when it's time to fill out that bracket? Wow. I, I'm trying to think of, oh, in terms of filling out the bracket, you know, we've talked about a bunch of these teams, and, and I think that, look, this is a year where, I've done this in the power rankings a few times, just a comparison of, if you look at last year's teams, uh, like the the strength of them, you know, based on advanced stats, the top, um, I think it's a, the top six teams from last year are all were all stronger than the number one team this year. So if you think about it, like that, just makes a tournament to me. It's much wider open. The odds of it's really hard to set to pick a champ this time it's really hard to pinpoint teams getting deep in the tournament so i just think there's so many teams right now um that have not played at like the really high highly elite level that kentucky wisconsin um arizona duke were at last year and so there's just so many teams that have these like unanswered questions as you're going close to the tournament like michigan state um let's say they look early in the season, you might say, okay, they're the favorite to win the national championship. And then Valentine got hurt and he's got to kind of was slow to come back. He's playing exceptionally well right now, but I think you want to see them as a team hit that level that they were uh, at in like November and December when they looked like they could beat everyone. Uh, I'd like to see his supporting. I'm really gauging whether I feel like Denzel Valentine's supporting cast is national title worthy because he's the kind of leader and player that can take a team to a national title. So it's like, I'm watching just the consistency of his supporting cast. That's a big deal to me. Um, Virginia, I have them number one. I'm a little bit of a contrarian. They're number seven in the AP poll, but I've been watching lately the way their defense has been progressing. It wasn't there at the start of the year up to like Tony Bennett's standards, but it's getting there, and if it keeps progressing in the way it has in the last two weeks, like the, then I feel good about picking a deep Virginia run. Um, then you've got these other teams like North Carolina. It's just I think that monitoring like the momentum and the, and the abilities of like the, of guys like Marcus Page, uh, you know, does he, is he a guy who's going to have this like last hurrah in the tournament or is he kind of on a downward trend at the end of his career um offensively like that's you're just kind of um i guess i'm just watching a lot of teams to see like whether they can solve some of these flaws duke um i'm hoping they'll get emil jefferson back you know it's maybe if it's not in the best interest for his career to rush back from a foot injury then we won't see him but if they do get him back uh that was a team that, although they didn't guard guard incredibly well, they were, I don't know, to me, they, they looked 
great at times early in the year. And so you're going to have probably a small sample. Maybe you watched five or six games have been playing that way and, and kind of try to gauge whether like, is this Duke team different from the one that was just completely porous in February, um, Kentucky, the same way Tyler Ulis, he, although like Kentucky falling out of the big picture, the, the top of the polls has kind of made people maybe not pay as much attention to the fact that like Tyler Ulis is having an incredible season as a point guard. Um, Jamal Murray's kind of coming along as a scoring guy, but can they find like the right combination of front court guys just to play small roles um, and, and get them to the top? Because they have enough talent to, to do well. So I, I'm going to keep watching them, even if they're not high up in the polls. The sports guests are here finishing up with Luke Wynn. You can find him on Twitter. He's at Luke W I N N. Very easy to find him there. His power rankings column, which we've referenced many times is the best power rankings column of any sport on the internet. Make sure you find that on SI.com. And in this week's SI the Magazine, he has an article that is mostly about the Oklahoma Sooners and them taking many, many three-point shots. Make sure you read that. Two last quick things before you go. Plus it's about reggae and and gummy bears. Yeah, gummy bears. Gummy bears getting a a plug was huge. (laughs) I, I, I was reading that last night and saying, Damn it! I wish I had gummy bears. Yeah, the you know? buddies of buddies of Haribo, gummy bears guy. He's, that's his. That's his fuel. But the, but the dance hall reggae is the. I guess the he just plays at a, like deafening level and shoots in it. To the point <laughs> where no crowd, I think, could bother him because he shoots in. He shoots to music that is literally painful. I like how, I like how so. the, the coach has a cutoff. He's like, ah, I don't give it. I mean, he waits till they leave. Right, right, then right. He just, he, then he turns it. The last two things before Double. you go, give me your four one seeds and the player of the year. Four one seeds. Um, I'm going to go, do you, you mean right now or who do I think? No, who you think they'll them? be ultimately. Okay. Um, I'll go with Oklahoma, Virginia, Villanova, and... I guess Iowa because I think they'll, even though they don't have the greatest win resume, they'll probably win the Big Ten and and get it there. Um, and Player of the Year, I think it's Buddy Heald. Um, he doesn't do the all around stuff as much as Denzel Valentine is probably like my runner up. Uh, but Buddy has been scoring so well, and if Oklahoma kind of maintains that spot, one or two, the, the one or two in the polls, he's had some really signature moments. The game winner. Texas, the the crazy game against Kansas. Uh, he's a pretty lovable, lovable guy and, yeah. and, and the best Very scorer likely. out there. So I think he's going to win it. I still have Hollis Price ranked slightly ahead of my all time favorite Sooners, but oh no, come on, it. man! Buddy is so Buddy is well, Buddy is one of the most likable players of a long time. You got to so is Hollis Price. You forget this poor Hollis Price showed up on campus. He didn't have a uniform that fit the kid. I don't know, man. It's hard. It's hard to not love Buddy. Oh, I love Buddy. Don't get me wrong. I love Buddy. Um, but Hollis Price took me to a Final Four, so if Buddy can do that. He'll probably pass him. Sure, I think he may do it. I think he may. All right, Luke. Thanks so much for all the time. Loved it. Good catching up. We'll talk to you soon. All right, later on, Steve. All right, I want to thank Luke Wynn for being on the podcast today. I also want to thank Frank Schwab. Don't forget you can find this podcast, last week's podcast, 
on our website, www.sports-casters.com. Last week we had Steve Hyden, uh, used to be the music critic from Grantland. And who the hell else was on last week? Hyden and who else? I know we did alternate, non alternate NFL Super Bowl programming. Adrian Dater. And Adrian Dater, that's right. That Thanks was fun, too. We talked forever about God knows what. <laughs> uh, you can find this podcast, that podcast, and next week's podcast, which should have uh, Jack McComb and Richard Deitch, www.sports-casters.com. You can also find us on Twitter, at sports underscore casters. One of my recent tweets features a picture of the handsome at Don Lake Sports. <laughs> Uh, you can find Don there. You can also email us at sportscasters at gmail.com. All right, my last thing this week, um, I don't know how to refer to, to Mike Harrington. He's a regular, quasi-regular guest on the program. He comes on at least once a year to fight with us. Yeah. In I good mean, spirits. He, he's so. kind of like our enemy a little bit. Uh, with a wink. Yes. Enemy with a wink. And I don't want to take things Personally, he says, because I, I want to be able to disagree with people without being angry. I think that's too many people's problems. They see something they disagree with and they have to hate it. Like, And that's what he and this show do really well. Yes. We disagree without being angry at each other very well. We do it for an hour a year and we move on. And we talk a lot about our uh, another guy that comes on the podcast occasionally, Tim Graham, and how we almost applaud his trolling. Well, Mike's taken his to a different level. Uh that borders on making himself a character or a story because it's very heelish. Yeah, yeah, he's like the, he's like a it's perfect. He's a heel. He sent a tweet last night, uh, which would have been Tuesday night when you're listening, whenever you're listening to this. But it says, "Hey, what happened to all those cockeyed optimists filling the air with playoff talk last fall? Mighty silent these days." Hashtag Sabers, and that's in the middle of the Sabers basically taking a beating to the best team in their division at the time. Right. Now, I understand Mike probably hears from the worst of the worst. I, I think there's, I think the smartest people out there aren't necessarily tweeting every single thought they have. So he's probably hearing from the emotional fans, from the diehard fans, from whatever. Deals with assholes for sure. That yeah, that too. But I mean, I don't remember hearing a lot of people talking playoffs this year. Now I'm. I don't remember any. Yeah, and I may be on record. Is saying I'm not sure if I am, but I expect playoffs next year. Like for me, that was you get Eichel, you get his, let him get his feet wet. You get the first year of O'Reilly. You get these young guys; they get their first taste of the league. And next year, I want I want playoffs, or I want to be fighting for a spot at least. But to send that tweet in the middle of a game where they're getting blasted, I, I don't understand. I don't understand the motive there. And we've said before that we think that these Buffalo News guys, like, they'll never admit it, but. We wonder if there's like some back office meeting where they're told be the counter radio guy. Get out there be, and rile people yeah, up. Fire yeah, fire people up. So someone responds to him after that tweet. I would love to know why you continuously rip on Buffalo fans, to which he said, overrated and not knowledgeable, supported an embarrassment, derided around the league, getting what they deserve. Now, the one thing I was thinking about after reading this tweet today is – and this is getting back to tank talk, which is old, old news. But what part of selling guys off that are on expiring contracts or getting something for players? Like, you don't need a time. I love Thomas Vanek is one of my favorite Sabres of all time, but you don't need him around while the team rebuilds. He's going to be too old by the time they see it through. They got a great haul for him. And they got a lot of stuff for him. 
why is that seen as tanking? The only thing I could think of that they really did that was tanky last year was not play Mark Pesic. Uh, who's right. arguably one of their best young defensemen, they, they and they buried him in Rochester. Yeah. That's the one move that is kind of inexcusable. Other than that, they got pieces. It's not like they just sent players out there and told them to shoot on their own net or anything like that. Uh, they sent it, They fielded an AHL team because they gave up all those good things, but they got good things back. They weren't just selling off parts for nothing. Uh, and the embarrassment derided around a league we talked tank talk a ton on this podcast with guys. I didn't meet a lot of people from who felt that way around the league. Yeah. And one of them down goes Brown Toronto guy, right? Yeah. So if anyone's going to not like it, I mean, they're kind of a rival of the Sabres. He said at worst, it's seen around the league as the Sabres played the system, which I would totally agree with. The league itself should be embarrassed that the Sabres were allowed to guarantee themselves. McEichel in this case, they got, Eichel. Right. but doing something, they would have gotten blasted by guys like Mike Harrington if they tried to make a run at it or something with that team. So I don't know what they were supposed to do. I don't know why fans that were okay with them being bad because they could see the big picture are now considered overrated and not knowledgeable. Uh, we knew exactly what we were getting into. I, I don't know how much more knowledgeable you can be than to be willing to take a bad team for two or three years and to see it through. I don't know. This felt... This felt like something, like I said, Mike is gracious enough to come on the podcast. He sticks to his guns. He agrees, or he argues intelligently. And he lets me argue back 100% without putting it against me. This felt borderline rude and nothing but inflammatory. I I think he liked that back, maybe. I I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Trending Buffalo is an interesting – I don't know what you'd call them. They're just kind of a Buffalo media outlet. They're kind of like anti-media, though, because yeah. it's guys that like have left radio or whatever and stuff like that. And they are edgy, and they're all over him for this. And every comment is all over Mike for this. And, uh, yeah, I, I, it'll be interesting to ask him next year when we come on to fight it with him for something yeah, else. Yeah, I mean, what, those fans are his readers. Yeah, and he's in, he's in news. Poke the bear like that. I right. mean – he, I mean, the Buffalo News is a big, maybe the biggest newspaper still going, or like as far as a local newspaper goes. I know they, they do good numbers, but man, when you're in a medium like that that's on its last leg. Yeah, I mean, this, gotta, is a, this is a city where the newspaper is still relevant. Right. There's a lot of them that aren't. This is one that is, and they do very well, so we're told. And they do do good work. I mean, Tim Graham won a Pulitzer out of there this yeah. year. Yeah. No, they absolutely you know, do, but, so, it's, it but is this weird. is just really it's weird. The level of yeah, to poke your poke, readers yeah. at that. Yeah, that's I like Mike, but I can't I can't defend him there. All right, one last thing for me today. You know, being a wrestling fan means you're going to have a lot of sad days, hmm. uh, and oftentimes it's because guys who you grew up loving they they leave us too too quickly, and uh, this isn't a story quite like that, but it's similar. Uh, on Monday afternoon came the word that Daniel Bryan yeah, uh, was going to have to retire at age 34 uh, because of concussions sustained in the ring. And, you know, I took 10 years off, Don, uh, from watching wrestling on a regular basis. Right. And the very first big event I watched when I came back was WrestleMania 30, which has been kind of known since as Yeslemania. Because Daniel Bryan and his yes movement 
finish the show in the Louisiana Superdome with 80,000 people uh, pointing their fingers to the sky and repeating the word yes. And it was an awesome, awesome thing to see. Everything you could love about wrestling. And it was a 5'9", 190-pound guy accomplishing things that were usually reserved in this business for the 6'6", 240, 260-pound Hulk Hogan's of the world. Uh, Daniel Bryan was cool. Uh, He had a cool beard and... He stood for cool things, and he was fun to watch. He had an exciting style, uh, and unfortunately, uh, injuries caught up to him. He had to forfeit his title after only one defense after WrestleMania 30, only to make it back before the Royal Rumble the following year and to win the Intercontinental title at WrestleMania 31, only have to give that up because of injuries. And uh, for a while, Don, there was this debate. Daniel Bryan had claimed that he was being cleared by every doctor he's seen. But the WWE doctor wouldn't clear him. Uh, And he went for one last test, which he hoped would bolster his case. Um, And it showed that uh, he was part of his concussions... Part of the the problem was is he was going to be open to seizures. Oh. And he admitted on ESPN News last night that he was hiding seizures. Wow. During his recovery here. So I don't mean to jump in on your thing no, here. No, jump in, yeah. You're, what you're kind of saying here is the WWE doctors were did the, the right ones thing, doing actually. the right thing. They did. They wow. did the yeah, right thing. Good for them because, I mean – and if you know anything about what they're trying to do right now, sell out Cowboy Stadium for WrestleMania 32. Okay. And you know that John Cena is not going to be a part of that because of injury. Oh. And on and on and on. They're very, very injured. They're probably not going to do what they want to do. It would have been really easy for them to say, you know what? Screw it. Let's, yeah, good for them. let's uh, put Daniel Bryan in there. But they didn't. And it uh, turns out. Can I ask another question? Yeah. Are they still hitting guys in the head with chairs? And I don't mean that flippantly. Like, uh, No. Okay, they got rid of that because of concussions. I mean, if you're going to do a chair shot to the head, the hands have to be up. Okay. You know. We're not going to see a Mick Foley on, beyond no. the mat anymore. Okay. No. And it, Mick Foley will tell you that was downright stupidity. Yeah. I mean, you he know. does on that document in the yeah. documentary. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah. No, you never see anything like that again. You know, the the organization itself is in the, in the PG era. Good for them. You know, so they did the right thing here. And it was so often I even said... Man, you know, this guy's getting the the doctor that he that okayed him, the initial one, was from uh Phoenix and was the Super Bowl doctor when the, the doctor you know, when the Super Bowl was in Phoenix. He was the off field neuro neurologist, you know, the independent Oh yeah. You know, super huge doctors were clearing him. Uh but as Daniel Bryan admitted on ESPN last night, maybe he wasn't given all the facts about seizures that he was having. And, you know, this last test proved that he was vulnerable to seizures and maybe that hearing that made him admit it, that those were happening. And uh, I'm glad that I'm going to miss watching Daniel Bryan, the wrestler, but I hope that 10 years from now I'm not going to have to feel sad for Daniel Bryan, the vegetable.